Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, West Palm Beach campus. Great to see you guys this morning. How's everybody doing? Great. Awesome. It's good to see your faces today. There's slightly more of you than last time was here. I know we are up and down, up and down through the pandemic and waves of the pandemic. So it's great to see so many faces back. It's good to see you guys. Great to be with you. And uh, can we thank the band for leading us in worship? Can we go ahead and do that? You know, we, had, we thank Miranda and Karen and Gloria and just thank you team for filling in and, and for just doing such a great job of standing in the gap as you know, we continue to look for a full-time worship leader here at West Palm Beach. We're really, really grateful for all your hard work and going the extra mile. Um, this, those, this, listen, this team, they are burning it to bring worship here to this place. And so we're grateful for them and grateful for standing in the gap. So we honor you guys. Thank you so much. Well, um, I'm here today instead of Pastor Jose for a really good reason. He had his baby. Or, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Correction. Gigi had the baby. Jose was there, okay? So uh, they had their baby. I'm not going to show pictures. I'm not going to steal any of Pastor Jose's thunder. He'll be back with you in just a few short weeks, and he'll brag on his brand new baby boy, Caleb, to you guys. So that's a wonderful thing. So thank you for praying for them. Yeah, it's a great thing. So thanks for praying for them and all that. Um, it's a privilege to get to be with all of you here today. And uh, it's a little bit of a funny thing to get to be here with all of you today because uh, we're going to jump into our series in just a moment. But um, it's quite convenient for Jose to be out today. Uh, many of you know today, we're, we, if you were here last week, we let everybody know that today we're going to talk about sex. So... And so, of all the Sundays where Pastor Jose is going to call in and say, actually, Trevor, can you do this? He picked the perfect Sunday. So, there we go. So, we're going to do that. Hey, but listen, before we jump in, I got some cool news and exciting uh, stuff to share with all of you, what's going on in our church family. Many of you know over Christmas that we, uh, we raise uh, a Christmas missions offering. Oh, don't put that up. Oh, hey, look, like, we we're trying to raise $150,000. Look what you guys raised instead. Isn't that great? Yeah. So um, that's just super exciting. Our goal was 150, and this is a weird year with the pandemic, and it's just changing all sorts of things in our society. And so we didn't know it was a stretch goal, it was a faith goal. We weren't sure if we we're going to meet it, and because of your generosity, we have exceeded it, 164,000 dollars. Now get this. Here's the crazy thing. Just uh, I think two days after Christmas, somebody called us and said, "I've heard you're looking for a box truck." with a lift. I have a 2020 version. I needed to get it off my company's hands by the end of the year. Are you interested? Yeah, isn't that great? So um, because of your uh, just extravagant generosity to the, the mission of Jesus, and the mission's offering isn't about us or our church. We tried to send it all out to help, uh, help people in the name of Jesus and help provide food and other needs for people to really help in a practical, tangible way. We call it, we want to love the 561. And so what we needed, because there's so much food that's gone through. Hey, quit putting up the pictures before I tell you. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, because before, uh, we have so much 
this food ministry has grown so much. Most everybody knows if you've been part of our church, if you're new here, we're glad that you're here with us today. If you've been a part of our church ministry, you know in 2020 we fed over 100,000 people. In 2021 we opened up the community care center here at West Palm Beach. You can clap for that. That's a great thing. Awesome things. Awesome, compassionate things are being done for people with real needs who need real help. And we're putting tangible help uh, to people. And, uh, be- and so because of that, we needed a box truck with a lift because um, the amount of food, the volume of food that has gone through is just so much. All of our volunteers are going, my back needs a truck with a lift. So amen, right? There you go. So um, here's a picture of our truck that we got right before the end of the year. Isn't that awesome? It's huge. We're going to wrap it graphically and make it look awesome. And here is the back of the truck with the lift and our wonderful Price is Right model. Tony Wilson is right there. Isn't he lovely? All right, so, so very cool. So thank you to everybody for all the ways you've supported our church. We're just so thrilled about that. Isn't that awesome? $164,000. That blows my mind. It blows my mind. So um, we are here today, though, not to talk about box truck and missions offerings and whatnot. We are here to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. We're doing this series called How Life Works. Everyone say that with me. How Life Works. When I, uh, I preached in Loxahatchee and on an online campus last week, Pastor Dale started us off a couple weeks ago, and he was, yeah, the main thrust of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, and Jesus' vision for it, he says it at the end, is the wise person who does what I say, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a person who built their house on a rock. It's what he's saying is his vision of how life works best. And so last week, Pastor Jose did a fantastic job here. Pastor Jose is a way better preacher than I was at 25. That kid is gifted, and we're grateful for him. And uh, I preached over in Loxahatchee, and we were given the steep assignment from Pastor Dale. He launched the series, said, okay, Trevor and Jose, no big deal. Just preach on the next part of the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, make sure you cover murder, anger, slander, racial reconciliation, abortion, MLK Sunday, and Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Go get them, Trev. Yeah, you could do it. And so we did it. And by God's grace, man, we learned as a church that, you know what, we're not going to succumb to different ideologies of the world that say, you can't talk about that. That's more of a progressive idea. You can't talk about that. That's more of a conservative idea. We don't go by those labels. If it's a Jesus idea, we're about it in his name. Come on, right? That's right. And so we did. So I thought I was going to get a week off. Oh, I can't believe I had to talk about all of that one Sunday, and God was there, and God's spirit blessed it. God blessed what happened here in the room. I was going to have a Sunday off. I was not going to have to talk about sex, and then Jose had his baby, and here we are, buckling, uh, which, you know, but Jose had his first kid. He's a rookie at that. He was texting me like, what do we do with this? What do, how is this, this, this? So we let him know because uh, my wife and I, we had our fourth kid in October. And so I think I have moral authority to talk to all of us about sex today. <laughs> so before we jump into that, Here's what I think we should do because um, this, we, we just let everybody know, especially for any parents, if you have kids here in the room, this is going to be a little bit of a PG-13 Sunday, and uh, we're really going to get into the nitty-gritty of a lot of this stuff. Um, but before we do a lot of that, uh, what I want us to do is to have a moment of prayer and to open our hearts to surrender to maybe hear from God. So if you're able, would you stand? Would you stand? We're going to try something new. 
Um, I think it was, uh, Glory, did you mention it was 21 days of prayer? Yeah, so this is our 21 days of prayer in our church. We're just starting the year off with a focused effort on prayer. And there are lots of different ways to pray. There's not one way to pray. And I want to teach you a new way to pray that involves three movements with your hands, three postures with your hands. And we're going to start first, make closed fists. Closed fists. And we're going to pray. And so once you lift your fists up like this. And we're going to just have this as a moment of prayer. I want you to pray with me. Lord, I confess that my natural human posture is to fight, is to defend myself and put myself first. But now go ahead and open your hands. But now I choose as a follower of Jesus to surrender myself to you all of my life, all that I am, what I believe, my priorities, my faith, my family, my finances, my friends, all of it, I offer to you. Take a deep breath. So that's the first posture of surrender. Okay, now close fists again, but hold them in front of you like this. Pray with me. Lord, I confess that my natural human posture is to keep, is to hoard, is to worry about myself and my life and put myself first. I open now open your hands. But now I choose as a follower of Jesus the posture of generosity. Freely have I received. Freely I give to you now. I offer myself to you. It's all yours anyway. So just take a moment and pause. We've surrendered to God, but now we're offering ourselves to him. It's all his. Deep breath. Okay, close fist one more time. Now cross your arms like this. Pray with me. I confess that my natural human posture is skepticism. To say it's not my problem. And to stand on the sidelines. All right, now open your hands and stretch out your arms. Say, but now I choose as a follower of Jesus, the posture of mission. You've called us to go. The world's problems are my problems. So we say to you now, here I am, Lord. Send me to the least, to the lost, and those who are far from you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Isn't that cool? So you start, you can do this every day. Yeah, you can do this every day. That's a good thing. You start with posture, surrender, posture of generosity, 
posture of mission. So this is how we're starting today in our series. And this is important for how we're talking about this series. Now, this is challenging what we're going to talk about, not just today, but all throughout this series. And I'm not saying that because I'm going to say hard things today. This is challenging to me. This is going to be challenging to you. It's challenging to all of us as followers of Jesus. But we're going to lean in to what he has to say to us today. So like I said before, a little bit of a warning. Today is going to be a little PG-13, okay? Um, We're going to really get into some of the nitty-gritty of some of these things. If you're new here with us today, no, we do not always harp on sex, okay? It's not our favorite thing to do. We're not Bible thumpers. Um, Even though we have an extremely high view of Scripture, we also don't believe in weaponizing this to beat other people over the head with. We think the Bible speaks to my life and your life first. We turn it on ourselves first before we turn it towards other people. Amen? Amen. So this is going to be a judgment-free zone, but it's still going to be us opening our hearts and our lives to the clear teachings of Jesus on some of these things. Now, uh, this subject speaks to every single one of us here in the room today. It speaks to probably the most private area of our lives, which makes us very sensitive, which makes us very vulnerable. And I promise to you today that I will be loving and I'll be careful as we speak to grace and truth about this issue. About this issue. Um, because this is such a private area of our lives, like I said, it also speaks to the most vulnerable. And most of us were first exposed to the ideas of sex and sexuality. Um, I imagine, especially in our culture nowadays, people's first exposure to these things was probably not the best. I think Jesus' real vision for some of these things is for people to be formed sexually under him and to be taught about it in all the right ways, but it's turned exactly on its head in our culture. I, I don't remember exactly when I first heard about sex. Um, my parents didn't necessarily have the birds and the bees. I think when they tried to have the birds and the bees conversation, already had it, had it figured out by three or four years. I have one of my friends who said his dad tried to talk to him about the birds and the bees the night before he got married when he was 25. <laughs> he was like, dad, hello. <laughs> so... Um, uh, I remember the first time uh, I really learned about sex, the first time I saw a naked woman. I was at a friend's house uh, in third grade, and uh, I love that friend, I love that family, but um, they came from a broken home. The mom was raising four boys on her own. God bless that woman. Four boys on her own. She worked at a singer, a Celtic singer at a bar, and so she was gone every single night trying to provide for her and her boys. And so whenever we would have sleepovers at my friend's house, we were left to our own devices, which included in 1994 HBO. And as a young boy, I saw things I probably shouldn't have seen as a young boy. That was my first exposure to sex. Not sure I want HBO teaching me about sex and about God's vision for this beautiful part of life. Now, some people were first exposed to what is sex and human sexuality from a young age. Maybe it was because of some exposure to media Maybe it was because of an early exposure to pornography. Studies show that the average age a child is now exposed to pornography is anywhere from eight to nine years old. If you just hand a screen indiscriminately to a child to entertain themselves, my God, you're handing them a weapon for things that how people predatorily have children uh, come across pornography. Um, Some people, their first exposure to sex was, uh, maybe it wasn't through pornography, maybe um, it was through abuse. 
Maybe it's through their own sense of curiosity and promiscuity. Many of us are experiencing sex and exposed to sex in the very wrong ways at a very early age, totally contrary to the ways that God wants us to talk about this. And it's part of our mission of our kids' ministry here at Community Hope to teach your kids and to teach your grandkids about sexuality God's way and to beat the world to the punch about this issue and to do it the right way because many of us experienced it the backwards way. And it's our dream, hear what we're gonna do today. I have about 30-ish minutes to talk to you guys about Jesus and sexuality for the love. I can't cover everything, okay? right? Um, If I tried to, I think I'd do a disservice to it all, but we're going to do our dead level best to still speak holistically to this issue. The goal for today is to just open broader conversations about this topic here at our church. It's not a one and done type of a thing. We're not doing a series on sex necessarily, but we're trying to open conversations and to create working statements as a draft of this is what our church believes. This is where we're at. This is where we're headed. And it's a beginning conversation, not a one and done conversation. Does that make sense? So even though I can't cover everything today, we're gonna totally open the door to further broader conversations in our church. And that's our dream today. And that all of us would get in on Jesus's countercultural message about what it does it mean to follow him, even with your sexuality. So with that, we're going to jump right into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. And we're jumping off where we left from last week. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, we're going to read all the way to 37. Jesus says here, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Lord Jesus, this is your teachings. We want to be a people who submit every ideology and every other identity that we have under the identity of first the citizens of your kingdom and following you. And so Lord, just as the last song said, yet not I, but Christ through me, Lord, would you speak And would you do as the psalmist did, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so let's talk for a moment about everything Jesus just addressed. He talked about adultery. Now, just like last week, Jesus begins to broaden the conversation. Last week, he talked about murder. But Jesus said, well, that's true. Murder is bad, but actually I want to get the heart of the spirit of murder. If you have a destructive type of anger that wants to call someone else an idiot, that's what you're in danger of judgment for. He takes it from a very small, select group of people. It's probably a small, select group of people in here 
hopefully, I'm not sure if anybody here has committed murder before. I hope not. Um, but if you had, it's probably a small select group. But when he broadens it out to the spirit of anger, ah, now that applies to everybody. And I hope a very few small select of us here have committed adultery. I'm not foolish enough as a pastor to think nobody in here has. But I hope the number's small. But Jesus takes it from being a small subset of people who may have committed adultery and even a smaller, a, a different segment of group of maybe that only applies to married people. But he broadens it beyond that. It says, actually, the spirit and the heart of it isn't just don't commit adultery. It's don't lust after another person, a man or a woman, in your heart. The famous Methodist uh, evangelist who's called the Billy Graham of India, his name is E. Stanley Jones. He says, Jesus says, do not commit adultery, but he takes it a level further. It's like Jesus is saying, don't even think adultery in your heart. So he talks about adultery. He talks about lust. He's like saying, gouge out your eye and cut off your hand if it leads you into sin. Does he really mean cut off your hand and gouge out your eyes? If that were so, there are many of us here with no eyes or no hands. Jesus is using hyperbole here to make a deep point of radically remove anything that will lead you into sexual sin. Radically remove anything that will lead you into sin. It's that serious. He talks about the idea of divorce which this was totally countercultural in that day and age because it was a patriarchal society. Men could divorce women for any reason that they wanted. And so when Jesus gave this teaching here, the core principle behind it, deeper than what you just see at surface level, is Jesus is protecting women and protecting families. And he's saying men just can't divorce women for whatever reason that they want. Jesus is giving legal grounds to protect an innocent party in a divorce. And so he's trying to look out for women. And he points out that divorce is sin. He's saying, don't get divorced except for sexual morality or things that could dissolve the marriage vow. So it's clearly a text of sexual morality, but people have always understood this to also mean abuse, neglect, abandonment, and definitely Perhaps infidelity if there's no way that you can reconcile or repair your relationship with repentance and help and healing. He talks about oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be known. That certainly matters for today in our society with marriage and keeping your promises and keeping your vows. These are all connected together. And so this is the reason we're putting it all under the umbrella of human sexuality. Because it's all part of the Sermon on the Mount today. Adultery, lust, divorce, integrity, all of it. And it opens up a broader conversation that we need to have. One social commentator that we've read has recently said that no generation has been through more change that we have since the 1960s in the West, particularly in America. Think about everything that many of you have experienced throughout your lifetime, especially some of our elders, statesmen, stateswomen here in our church. You've seen the advent of the internet and email and smartphones. You've seen a post-Christian culture come through. You saw the civil rights movement. You've seen terrorism come on the scene the dissolving of many different sexual standards. We've seen gay marriage be legalized in our church. We've seen the mapping of the human genome and on and on and on. The list is endless. There's been so much transformational societal change in the past 60 years. No wonder there's so much unrest and emotional anxiety in our society because everything is changing. Now, this list is endless, but perhaps no other place have we witnessed so much change as we have in how we're asked to understand sex and sexuality in our culture. Uh, 
just amazing pastor and author who God has really given a platform to and risen him up in the past 10 years, a guy named John Mark Comer. We're talking about him all throughout the series. He makes some observations about the changes that have happened in our culture with sex. If you're taking notes, you can write some of these down. These are five shifts in human sexuality that have happened in our society since the 1960s and the sexual revolution. First, sex became disconnected from child rearing and family. Birth controls adopted in the 1960s and legalized for single people in 1972. Think about this. Before this, it was illegal for people to have birth control without a husband or a wife. Pretty amazing. Things have changed a lot. For most of human history, it was simply not in the realm of people's thinking that for most of human history, if you were going to be sexually active, that was tied with it an incredible degree of responsibility. For almost all of human history. And with the simple move from the, by the FDA, sex moved from procreation to pleasure. Now, I'm not saying here, I'm not preaching against birth control or any prophylactics or condoms or any type of birth control measures whatsoever. I'm not saying that, okay? We're just pointing out how culture has shifted. Sex then became disconnected from marriage. Now, it was no longer two people, a man and a woman in a committed covenantal relationship till death do you part. It has been down through two millennia, not only for Christians, but also for Muslims and the Dalai Lama until the West in the last 50 years. This, is created, this alone has created anxiety about sexuality because so many people have what Christians call um, soul ties with many different sexual partners. Now, but even human biology and people's brain chemistry ties to this concept. We've talked to lots of people in our church about this who have experienced this, who are uh, very sexually active before getting married. They want to get married. They've been very sexually active and they're having to overcome a lot of these barriers because here's the real brain chemistry around this. When you're attracted to somebody, you feel endorphins. It's the feel-good hormone, right? And you experience attraction for a possible connection with this person. And when you sleep with a person and you have an orgasm with a person, your body releases oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. And so lots of us have chemically in our brains bonded with people without long-term commitments built around that as an apparatus around that relationship. And it leads to enormous brokenness and anxiety around sexuality because your brain chemistry is meant to be wired to one person, but you're wired to all these other people. It turns out when we say the word soulmate, there's actually a science behind this. And a lot of us have soul ties with people we're never intended to have soul ties with. That's a challenge. So not only that, but sex has also become disconnected from male-female relationships in our society. And this is where we want to graciously enter into a brief moment talking about same-sex relationships. It's been less than 10 years since the legalization of gay marriage in the U.S., but it feels a lot longer because of the culture wars that surrounded that for such a long time. And just want to say here, this is a super complex conversation that the church in general has to learn how to do better on. In the church, with people who, uh, who struggle with this issue, there's called side A gay Christians and side B gay Christians. Side A means that they're a gay person who reads the Bible, and they think the Bible says that the practice of same-sex sexual relationships is okay. And then there are side B Christians who say that they're great people, and they read the Bible, and the way they read the Bible says that that practice of same-sex sexual practice is outlawed in the Scriptures. And by the way, that's where I land, and that's where our church lands. Now, what's more, we believe that the Scriptures say absolutely nothing 
around the issue of somebody's sexual orientation. It only talks about practice. So we can't, with biblical integrity, place any lines around people's orientation of who they're attracted to. The Bible says nothing about attraction. The Bible says nothing about temptation. The Bible says nothing about who you feel attracted to. It only says, what do you do with that? And we have already seen in the text, the Bible draws lines about practice for every single one of us who self-identify as a follower of Jesus. So, with that, when we talk about the LGBTQIA plus community, uh, Pastor Dale and I and our entire pastoral team want to speak with love, we want to speak with grace, we want to speak with truth. It's a complex conversation. And anytime anybody wants to try to talk about all of those as one category, all you have to do is to have a conversation with somebody who identifies as one of those letters to know that's not one conversation. Each one of those letters resembles a completely separate conversation altogether as if it were the same thing. And so we have to be very careful to not overgeneralize so we don't hurt our neighbors. You know, most conversations that we have around this issue, around same-sex relationships or the LGBTQIA community, most of those conversations pastorally happen like this. When they come and talk to us, they say things like they were pretty young when they first noticed that there was something different about themselves. When they discovered that they were gay, they tried to pray it away and it didn't go away, which left them with thoughts of suicide and left them feeling outside either emotionally or even literally from their own family of origin, even from their own church community. We just got to learn how to do some of this better. And so here's the big wrestle here. Usually in this area, when we talk about this, there are people, when we bring this up, people think that you go too far. Pastor Trevor, Pastor Dale, you guys went too far about that. And there's some people who think, oh, you didn't go far enough about that. And it's a big wrestle, not only when we talk about this, it's a big wrestle in our own denomination, in the Methodist denomination. This is one of the reasons why we no longer feel we fit in our denomination, because as we have said earlier, we tend to agree with the guy who rose from the dead when it comes on human sexuality. So, how do I say this here? We just clearly believe two things in our church. We want to be a church that is full of grace and full of truth. We want to be a church that we believe the truth about the scriptures. We believe that scripture says that the man and woman were created for each other. And we believe that the scripture says that same sexual sexual practice, that there's not space for that in scripture. That's the truth part. And we also want to have grace as a church where we want to love people. We want to love people in the gay community, and we want to find a place for everybody to come and belong here, and we're not going to pick truth. We're not going to pick grace. We're going to do things together. Can we be a community that loves truth and loves people at the same time? Can we do that? That's what we're going to try to do. That's what we're going to try to do. And so these are tough things. So even in our society today, sex has been disconnected from male-female binary which confuses the conversation. Sex has also become disconnected from love, from emotion, and from relational commitments of any kind. Apps, there are hookup apps like Tinder. You could swipe right or swipe left. 
This is the new ethos for how people come together in their sexuality. And many are delaying marriage to establish their careers. And some people, especially younger generations like mine, they don't get married until their late 30s, maybe even their 40s, but they still don't want to. They want to get married late, but they still want to be sexually active. So that leaves 10 to 20 years of being still sexually active. They just want sex, but still not have any commitment around it. And there's actually nothing new with lifting this up in our church and in our culture. But here's what's new about this, is that this is lifted up as moral progress. To make sex just about your body, just about recreation. And as a pastor who deeply loves all of you, I have to ask, when people say that this is sexual liberation and sexual freedom, the way I'm watching culture is, I don't necessarily think that this is making us more free. Let me tell you why. Here's the last shift. Culturally, sex has been disconnected from people altogether. Has been disconnected from people all together. One social scientist pointed this out. He said that the younger generations are having less sex now than previous generations. So generation Y, just after generation Z, they're actually far less sexually active than their predecessors. And as a pastor, when you read that, you go, revival's breaking out. Yes, they're learning to keep it in their pants. That's good. But that's actually not what's happening. You want to know what's really happening? They just lack the social skills because they're the first generation to grow up with, with screens and devices. They're the first generation that doesn't have the social skills to seduce somebody. And so they just express it all on the internet through porn. So actual sexual activity is on the decrease, but a rise in use of pornography is just skyrocketing, which is not good for our culture. Here's a picture of pop star Billie Eilish. If you don't know her, your kids or your grandkids know her. She's super popular. She just posted an article on CNN that was fascinating, talking about her first exposure to sex was when she was 11 with pornography. And she didn't tell it was a good thing. Let me tell you, this young lady is not a Christ follower, and she doesn't follow a Christian ethic or a Christian worldview. But she said, hey, watching porn at 11 messed me up. And it wasn't good for me. And it gives an unrealistic view of what sex and sexuality is and has been meant to be. And we have to rethink this as a society because it's messing up kids. And I think she's right. I think she's right. All these five shifts have led to not more freedom. You take her picture off have not led to more freedom, but to more confusion and more pain in our society. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 19. So Jesus later on comes back to this issue about divorce. And he says some of this here in Matthew 19. The Pharisees are trying to come trick him into a conversation about this. And they say this here, Matthew 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? 
And then Jesus says this here, watch very carefully. Instead of being tricked by the Pharisees, they were the cancel culture back then. He says here, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. If you guys could keep some of those verses on the screen, I want you to just notice a few quick things here. Usually in our culture, the problem is that they think about sex, about morality or not, and then they might make it about anthropology, and then they might think about theology last. But Jesus flips this entirely on its head. And because there's a million different applications for how we could talk about some of this today, whether you're young or you're old, you're single, you're married, you're widowed, gay, straight, gender confused, whatever many people might be in this room, and I don't know, there's a lot of different ways that this could apply to people. But Jesus flips it on its head and he starts with theology about God. And he talks about anthropology, what does it mean to be human? And then he talks about then morality at the end. And so he starts off here, haven't you read? Which is a great dig by Jesus. He's talking to the Pharisees like, you've read it, right? Have you? It's the first page of the Bible. Oh, you haven't. Let me say it to you. He starts with Genesis 1. It's the first page of the Bible. He says, at the beginning. And here comes storyteller Jesus. He says, the creator. God created. So there's a creator. There's a God. There's intent behind this. Made them male and female. Wait, God created us male and female, that our bodies matter? He says, for this reason, which he's pointing to Genesis 2, he says, so there's meaning to purpose, to marriage and romance and love for this reason, that it's not random, it's not a random hookup culture, more than just a piece of meat. There's purpose to how God made your body. A man will leave his father and mother, there's a family there, and be united To what, his wife, his girlfriend? No, it's this soulmate that God has made for him to be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they no longer two but one and therefore here comes up the command what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus tells a story and it's only at the end that he gives us his take on all these moral issues and he's talking about divorce here. Notice it here. He starts with theology, anthropology, and then morality. He leaves us really with three quick things. One, that sex is good because God created it. And God made you and God made your body male and female. And it is good and holy and true. Anybody tries to make it a dirty thing is wrong but it's God's good gift to humanity. Sex is good, and sex is powerful. It's powerful. Some people say, well, lighten up. It's just sex. It's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal, because I imagine all of us in some form or fashion in this room have been hurt by sex, right? And so lastly, sex is good. Sex is powerful. And lastly, he says that sexual sin, it's different. It's different, and we need to be careful. The Apostle Paul says this in closing. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. 
Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And ultimately, this comes down to wherever you find yourself, the question we all have to ask ourselves is, how are we called to honor God with our bodies, regardless of the situation that you come from, knowing these truths? about God. I'm going to invite Miranda to come on up. And this is an awkward conversation. If it's awkward for you, it's really awkward for me. And I'm doing this on a day and a half of prep. Did we do okay? Did we get through it halfway okay? Okay. Doing the very best I can, okay? Uh, We'll blame Jose later. So here's what we're going to do. Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? Very complex, very sensitive issue. We need to be careful with some of these things. So why don't we take a moment to pray and do what we started this time off together with as a moment of surrender. So first, if we're called to honor God with our bodies, knowing that sex is good, your body is good, God made your body, that this is powerful, and we have to be careful that sex is Different, And so Jesus really talks about this because it's different, it's unique. It's not the worst sin, but it's a unique sin because of how it affects us and our bodies and affects others. So the issue is honor God with your body. So if you'd be willing, maybe God would speak to us in the midst of this mess that we're trying to talk through today. So lift up your hands again as a point of surrender. And so Jesus, this is our posture of surrender. And Lord, we want to honor you with our bodies. How would you call each of us to do that now? Okay, now hands in front of you is a posture of generosity. Where we're not withholding, but we're giving ourselves away. In light of everything that we've heard today, Lord, how are you calling us to be generous? Maybe for some of you, this is to love people who are different from you. Maybe this is to love a neighbor or family member who believes differently, who lives differently, who acts differently, to give yourself and your life to them. Lord, how are you calling me to be generous today? lastly, I want you to stretch out your hands like this, a sign of mission that God is sending us forth from this place. Lord, we know that our culture is very broken sexually, and we are broken sexually too. And we believe, Jesus, that you teach us that your way leads to life and flourishing, and when we follow you, it leads to how life works best. Would you help us to do this? Lord, send us out into the world to be messengers of love, to be messengers of truth and peace, to be messengers of your way for how life works best. Lord, we're broken people. We're broken land sexually. Things are not getting freer. They're getting darker. The most marginalized of our society are in the most danger because of these right now. Um, Lord, we're broken people in a broken land and we need you and we're offering ourselves to you now. Here we are. Send us to be agents of healing and hope and life 
even in the realm around human sexuality and how to do this the way you designed it. Would you do that? Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, would you pour out your love and your grace on all of us? We thank you for our time together today. We thank you for Pastor Jose and their new baby, for baby Caleb and Gigi. Would you pour out great blessings and grace upon them as they recover in the hospital? We thank you that you bring us all back here together again next week to learn how to walk in your ways. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you, everybody. We'll see you.